Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote this week's story. Heard in the cast were Harry Bartell, Lawrence Dobkin, Victor Perrin, Barney Phillips, Forrest Lewis, Eric Snowden, Herb Vigran, and James McCallion. Musical supervisor and violinist, Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. John, this is Harry Branson of Philadelphia Mutual. Harry, what are you doing in town? I'm not, at least not in your town. But you've got a case for me. Do you know anything about violins? Oh, don't tell me. So he opened up his fiddle case and out came a submachine gun, that it? John, that technique went out with prohibition. Now, seriously, this case contains a genuine Amati. Good. What's an Amati? One of the finest, most expensive violins ever made. This one was insured for $30,000. Was? Yes. Now, someone has to find it for us. What's more? Okay, Harry, I'm on my way. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. The following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the Ricardo Amerigo matter. Expense account item one, twelve forty, train fare and incidentals to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I took the train because Harry Branson didn't seem to be in any particular hurry, and I kind of like a slow look at the countryside this time of year. When I got to Philadelphia, I checked in at the Bellevue Stratford, shaved and showered, then went over to Harry Branson's office in the Security First building on Walnut Street. You deceived me, John. I thought when we talked long distance that you'd be here right away. But instead of flying down, Old you took the Sobersides train. Branson Possibly hadn't a changed a bit. Time. Hair a little grayer than the last I time I'd seen him, perhaps. I hear further from but still the same me. serious lad who always anything, acted as though he was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. Now, I feel a deep personal concern over the whole matter because it was a man I put in this office myself who issued the policies, both of them. Two policies on this fiddle you were talking about? No, John. One on the Amati violin, $30,000. Yeah. And one on Ricardo Amerigo himself for $20,000. Who is Ricky? Who? Well, isn't that what you said his name is? I'm sure I didn't mention anyone by the... Oh, 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 Ricardo Amerigo, yes, yes. Well, uh, where's he playing? The Purple Cat or uh, maybe Wee Willie's joint over on John, Christie. this man is a concert violinist, or was. He's disappeared. Now, please, no more levity. <laughs> Sorry, Harold. It's Harrison. Sorry, Harry. All right. I'm quite all right. Now, I, I realize that you have quite a sense of humor, John, but in a matter as important as this... Yeah, sure. Now, let's have the story. Very well. A few years ago, Ricardo Amerigo was one of the world's leading concert violinists. As famous in London, Paris, Rome, as in the concert halls of this country. Uh -huh. Such virtuosity, almost unbelievable. I shall never forget one evening here in our Academy of Music. He had just finished a perfectly brilliant Vinyovsky. Amazing technical performance. Yeah, well... And uh... for an encore, he played Sarasate Sapatiado. Even more brilliant. Harry... Uh... But the audience wouldn't let him leave the stage. Ricardo Amarigo... Has disappeared. Oh, oh, yes. And you're in a hurry to get on with the case. I'm sorry. Now, thinking of his superlative performance that night carried me away for... <clears throat> yes, he, he's dead. Disappeared. And the violin? No trace. Dead? He didn't say that before. I know. You see, there's no proof of death. No body. Disappeared. Well, uh, don't let me shock your finer sensibilities, Harry. 
Murder? We have thought of that, of course. Who's we? The Port Morris police. Port Morris, New Jersey, that is. Oh. Yes, you see, since Amerigo's car went through the bridge rail, crashed right through it and plunged into the river stream... Trying to tie Harry down to pertinent facts that would help me in my investigation was, uh, well, futile. At least three times during the next half hour, he went off on glowing descriptions of violin recitals he had known. Heifetz, Selman, Chrysler, and so on. But he did come up with one of two things I wanted. First, Amerigo and his fiddle had been driving down from Philadelphia to some spot on the South Jersey seashore. Crossing an old wooden bridge over a little stream, an inlet from the ocean, the car had smashed through the guardrail and gone to the bottom of the inlet. The car, of course, was found. Amerigo and his violin, no. Second, and just as important, the name of the beneficiary of Amerigo's policies. Item two on expense account, one dollar even. Taxi to the Harnell Building, also on Walnut Street, in the office of Peter Corbin, Amerigo's booking agent. The building was plush, but Corbin's office was about as bare as I'd ever seen. An old beat-up desk, a battered filing cabinet, and a couple of straight chairs. That was it. Come in, Dollar. Come in. Sit down. Corbin was chewing the stub of a cigar that he'd forgotten to relight for at least a couple of days. We made with the usual howdy-do's. Well, your man Branson told you exactly right, Dollar. I'm Ricardo Amerigo's sole and only beneficiary. Well, doesn't that have been unusual for a man's agent to be his heir? Or uh, was it because you were old personal friends? I'm going to give it to you straight. I brought Amerigo over to this country. Myself, my own sole expense. I actually gave him the build-up. I started his whole entire career. I kept him on top, all at my own expense. Well, didn't you collect a regular agent's commission on his earnings? Oh, sure, sure. Plenty more. Why kid about it? Sure, while he was working. What's that supposed to mean? Bottle. What? Yeah, started hitting the bottle. Bad, not good. And believe me, the word gets around fast. Instead of making me money, himself too, because he started costing me money. But you see, he never saved anything, even when he was earning big. You know how these artists are. Yeah, I've heard. Well, it's the same with all of them. He got in debt actually up to his ears. And nobody, no no family, no relatives, nobody to pull him out. Nobody but me. Big-hearted Corbin. So you had him take on a lot of insurance and name you as beneficiary? Well, that was his idea, actually. Of course, he always did have the Amadi insured. That's his violin. Oh, so I learned. Oh, you know about violins? No. Oh. Well, but the life insurance, that was his own idea. Double indemnity, all that sort of stuff. Double indemnity? Oh, yeah. But guess who had to dig up the moolah for the last couple premiums? <laughs> Big-hearted Corbin. You're right. Not a bad investment, though, was it? What? Hey, hey, couple wait A couple of thousand in premiums, and you stand to collect plenty. If we can find proof that he's dead, and if we can't oh, recover the... I don't like the... that dollar. I don't either, Corbin. It doesn't smell good. Well, you think me, his own agent, actually rigged something like that for one of my best friends? You think that... Listen, wise guy, even if I did have any, any of a such idea, it'd be crazy. Anything actually is as obvious as that. Well, sometimes the most obvious is the best cover. Oh, get out of here, Dollar. Unless you want somebody to start collecting on your insurance. Even if it isn't you, huh? Get out! So help me. Yeah, pretty obvious. And every time you open your mouth... Oh, oh no, you don't. <laughs> Why is it that people who telegraph their punches are always the first to start swinging? Eh, I don't know. Anyhow, I left Corbin to pick himself up and start thinking about some alibis he might need. And in the camp back to my hotel, I did a lot of thinking myself. Sure, the obvious off times is the best cover-up. And yet it might be too obvious. Far too obvious. Branson here. Johnny Dollar here. 
Oh, uh, John, good. Listen, at least there'll be no double indemnity to pay in the Amerigo matter. For accidental death, that is. You see... Wait a minute. About an hour ago, you weren't even sure he's dead. Did somebody find the body? It, no, unfortunately, but I've just received a call from the Port Morris police. They completed their examination of Amerigo's car. Uh, after they pulled it out of the creek, of course. I hope so. John, they found conclusive evidence of murder. Harry, I'll call you from Port Morris. Expense account, item two. Subway, ferry, train, and bus fares to South Vineland, New Jersey. South Vineland, because Ed Bowles lived there, and I knew that if anything, anything at all happened in the heart of sunny southern Jersey, Ed would know about it. Retired and raising some of those wonderful South Jersey sweet potatoes and peaches with plenty of hired help, he amused himself by moseying around, getting to know everybody and everything that happened in his section of the state. He had an insatiable curiosity and money enough to keep it satisfied. Hi, you conniving, chiseling son of a gun. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to get here. What took you so long? Hey, what was that conniving, chiseling crack, son? We're still on expense account, aren't you? Yeah, sure. Sure, but... and so help me, nobody in history ever had the knack of padding out an expense account the way you can. And collect those fancy commissions on top. I, when I was a private investigator... Who is retired? <laughs> You call this retired 270 acres of sandy soil from which to try to wrestle the poor oh, living? Oh, no, wait a minute. That, that Cadillac El Dorado out front, that belongs to one of the hired hands. 983 right? peach trees. And isn't that a landing field I see out there through the window? A lot of sweet potato land to be cultivated. Well, yes. Say, why didn't you fly down or let me know and I'd have picked you up? Look, with all the time I have on oh, my hands... I thought hand, you said you were very yeah, busy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how long are you going to stay so I can figure out where we'll go, what we'll do? Ed, I'm on a case. Well, sure. Ricardo Amerigo and his priceless fiddle. Oh, no. It was easy. When I heard about him going over the bridge, I contacted Barney Peters of the Port Morris PD. From Barney, I learned all about the next of kin. It, his agent, that is. Pete Corbin. Right. And that boy at Philadelphia Mutual, Harry Branson. And I knew Branson wouldn't call anybody but you in on the case... So, here you are. Still a private eye, aren't you, Ed? <laughs> Gotta have some way of killing time. And I suppose you have the whole case solved. Yep. Well, according to Harry Branson, who heard from the Port Morris police just before I left Philly, it was murder. Oh, you point killer. I thought I'd be the one to tell you that. No, sorry. The cops knew it first. Second, I told them. Huh? Yeah, I showed them where somebody'd used a hacksaw on the steering arm of Amerigo's car when they dragged it out of the creek. Ah, so that was it. Yep. And who wielded the hacksaw? Well, Pete Corbin. Who else? Why? Who else stood to benefit by Amerigo's sudden trip to the great beyond? Ah, oh, no, no, no. It's too easy, Ed. What's more, he's the only one who had constant and complete access to Amerigo's car. Why, he not only mothered little Ricky, clothed and fed him and kept him in booze, but he paid his rent, swept out his apartment, serviced his car. That's no, too easy. And Johnny... That car was even kept locked in Pete Corbin's own garage. And Corbin had the only key. Where did you learn that? From Corbin's landlord. By phone, of course. Said he thought Corbin did that so Ricky couldn't go out driving when he was drunk. And me? I think it was the other way around. He'd only let him drive when he was drunk, huh? Instead of a good chance of smashing up what would look like accidental death. So that Corbin would collect the double indemnity. It's open and shut. <laughs> Any proof, Sherlock? Ah, 
Just get to Corbin, throw it all at him, and break him down. Maybe he'll even find the hacksaw tucked up his sleeve. Uh, too easy. Any bets that it isn't Corbin? Yeah, yeah, I'll bet you. You name it. My commission on the case. I'll match it. Oh, and uh, plus your expense account. Look, Ed, I want to see that car and the bridge and the creek, anything else I can find. Sure, sure, I'll fly you down there. Then we can go on over to Atlantic City, hit some of the night spots. Your treat. You know, so we can build up the expense account enough for me to collect plenty. Ed Bowles had been a pretty good investigator in his day. Seldom gone off half-cocked. Yet all his evidence was purely circumstantial. And where was the body? What's more, Pete Corbin acted anything but scared. Or so I thought until I put through a routine call to Harry Branson. He was worried. He had a right to be. Pete Corbin had packed a bag, jumped into his car, and disappeared. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow... A soggy day in a soggy South Jersey swamp. And a discovery almost too good to be true. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Sam Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Sergeant Barney Peters, Port Morris Police. Oh, hi, Sergeant. Thought you and Adam Bowles were coming over here to look at the evidence in the murder of Ricardo Amarigo. We are. Ed's out warming up his plane. That's why I answered his phone. We got a visitor here in Port Morris. Who? The guy Ed thinks did the job. Pete Corbin, Amarigo's booking agent? That's right. In Port Morris? That's right. Well, are you holding him? I can't. No legal reason to, in spite of Ed's suspicions. Well, what's Corbin doing there? I don't know, unless Ed's right about him. Huh? And Pete knows you're on his trail. Well, what's that mean? What could mean he's down here gunning for you. Uh-huh. 
Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Port Morris, New Jersey. Following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the Ricardo Amerigo matter. Item three, one dollar even. For whatever it was, the local druggist recommended to pull my stomach back together after the flight in Ad Bull's private plane from Ad's farm in South Vineland to Port Morris. In a sense, I'm glad we flew. In a car with Ad at the wheel, we'd have been all over the road. As it was, we were only all over the sky. Oh, beautiful day for flying, isn't it, Johnny? Can't you hold a straight course, Ed? What's the matter with this ship? Oh, not a thing. I like to weave around a bit. I like the feel of it. You know, all that power under you. Yeah. Sure you're not just trying to scare me into welching on our little bet? I'm going to win that bet, Johnny. Your commission on the case, plus all that goes on that well-padded expense account of yours. You just get busy and find the body. Why don't you forget your dark past as a private eye and stay retired? What? And leave an old friend like you floundering around with a case that's... Hey! You don't watch your steering. We'll be floundering around in those salt marshes down there. Sorry. But can't you see, Johnny? Pete Corbin, Amerigo's agent, has to be the heavy. He's the beneficiary of Amerigo's policy. Amerigo owed him a lot of money. Too easy. And Pete's the only person we know of who was with Amerigo constantly. He got motive, opportunity. Too easy, I tell you. But I wonder what under the sun Pete's doing in Port Morris. Ah, that we'll be finding out. We'll land there in a couple of minutes now. The little town of Port Morris was set on the edge of one of the wide salt marshes that border a lot of the South Jersey shore. Just a vast expanse of salt hay indented with little coves and inlets. Soggy, swampy country. Ideal breeding place for the famous Jersey mosquitoes. And I guess for me, the ideal breeding place for trouble. Sergeant Barney Peters met us at the mucky little landing strip just outside town. And we headed out on a narrow, muddy road across the marshes. Yes, sir, Mr. Dollar. If I were you, I'd try to pin down this Corbin. Where is he now? Back in town. Got Alf McCracken keeping an eye on him. Alf's the boy you saw Amerigo crash through the bridge that night, you know. Barney, I still wish you'd cooked up something to hold him. But what, Ed? Sure, Ed. Every bit of evidence you think you've got on Corbin is purely circumstantial. What else have you got to go on, John Boy? Oh, we'll see. We'll see. After I have a look at the bridge Amerigo busted through in his car. It's just up ahead a bit. Crosses the Lucky Hole Creek. I'd also like to know who could have... Well, I'd like to know what could have happened to his body, to that $30,000 Amati violin. You'll see. Just keep in mind that there's a mighty big flow of water in the creek from the tide coming in and going out. Hmm. Tell me, Sergeant. Johnny, I checked it. Huh? Tide had just turned, was on its way out to the ocean at the time Amerigo's car went over the bridge. Right, Barney? That's correct, Ed. Right now, though, it's probably about as low as it'll... Whoa! What's the matter? Just pulling over to let this car that's coming pass us. Otherwise, one of us might shear off into the swamp. Yeah, these roads weren't meant for two-way traffic. John Poole's coming pretty fast for a road like this. He isn't careful. Hey, look, Pennsylvania plates. Huh? He's right. That's Corbin's car. Corbin, huh? Swing across the road, block him. Wait! Son of a gun. Well, now, where's Corbin, all right? Well, then swing around. Go after him. On this road? He'd slide off into the swamp so fast... By the time we go on up to the bridge and turn, he'll be halfway back to Philadelphia, Blaster. Well, 
We had the bird in hand and didn't know it. What are you going to do now, Johnny? Just exactly what we started out to do. You're losing valuable time. Now, if I were still oh, in this... Oh, Ed, racket... why don't you stay retired? We drove slowly on up to the bridge, stopped and got out. And although the tide was almost low now, it was easy to see how that rush of water would easily carry a violin or a body or most anything right out to sea. Or could it? The tide was running this same way when it happened. Out. Yeah. And the current was a lot stronger than it is now, so you can imagine what it would... Huh? Yeah. What's the matter, Johnny? Well, that, uh, that big bird nest, whatever it is, down there at the side of the creek, 50, 60 feet. Oh, that's just where the reeds and hay got matted up. It does look like... Hey. Yeah. If that isn't a fiddle case propped up on top of it... Sure looks like sure one. Sure it is. Sure. The tide was higher then. The fiddle stuck in those reeds. Wait here. Well, now, Johnny, don't. You come back here. Dollar! Dollar, it's like quicksand. Stay out of it. You're darn fool. It was like quicksand, too. Black, glowy muck. I sank into it up to my knees. I almost had to swim through it, hanging onto it, pulling myself along by the reeds and bulrushes. But half of this case hung on that $30,000 Amati violin, and I wasn't going to let it slip out of my hands. A couple of times I dropped into soft holes, almost up to my shoulders, but somehow I kept going. Pulled the fiddle case off the pile of matted weeds and started back. But it used up most of my strength. With only one hand to pull, to pull myself along to... Ed! Ed! Johnny! Johnny, try and grab this rope! Here! Can't! Breach! Try it again, Ed. Drag it back. Try it again. Johnny, use the violin case. It'll keep you afloat. I... I'll try. You all right, Dollar? Dollar! Here, Johnny! The rope again! Johnny! Johnny! I hadn't passed out. So help me, I hadn't. Not entirely, that is. Or I'd never have been able to grab the line that Ad Bowles threw to me. Needless to say, I took a lot of kidding from Ed and Barney Peters on the drive back to Port Morris, especially since I didn't really know what had happened until I came to in the back seat of the car clutching the fiddle case. Jerk. If you'd held onto the rope with a death grip you have on that violin case, we'd have got you out of that muck before you swallowed half the salt water in that inlet. Yeah, sure, sure. I'll say this for you, Mr. Dollar. You don't give up easy. The fiddle. The $30,000 Amati. At least I had half of this miserable case in hand in my hands. There'd be no insurance collection on that violin. And then I saw it. What's the matter, Johnny? You passed out again? No. No, Ed. You should have cleaned me up before you piled me into this car. What? Look. Well, what is it? Piece of shirt. Ricardo Amerigo's shirt. Is that? Yeah, look. Monogram on the pocket, R.A. And what looks like bloodstains. Hey, you're right. Where'd you get that? I must have picked it up when I picked up the fiddle. Well, at least it proves that Amerigo went down with his car. No doubt of it. What I didn't tell him was that the piece of cloth from Ricardo Amerigo's shirt was fastened to the violin case. Deliberately put there. But by whom? By Pete Corbin, Johnny. That's your man. Are you listening? Yeah, I'm listening. Beneficiary, confidant, caretaker of both Ricky Amerigo and his car... Who else could have sawed through the steering bar that made the car run off the bridge? 
And a guy who was smart enough to have it happen in this godforsaken salt marsh. Now, just a minute, Ed. Okay, Barney, in the heart of sunny southern Jersey, where he expected nobody'd find car or body or even the fiddle until long after the insurance claim was met. Thanks to a tide that'd carry everything out to sea. For indeed, my friend, if your deputy, Alf McCracken, hadn't actually seen Amerigo's car slip through the bridge rail... It... Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. If Pete Corbin had planned this whole thing, he would have made sure the corpus delecti would be found. Johnny, that's why he had the accident happen where somebody saw it. Yet that somebody, Alf McCracken, didn't see the fiddle float away, didn't see the body float away from the car. Oh, stop it, John boy. You know as well as I do that this whole thing was engineered by Corbin. All right, tell me, investigator, what was he doing down here today? Lord knows, and I don't care. Probably to plant that piece of shirt. Johnny... I've given you all the help I'm gonna on this case. From now on, you either follow my tip and lose your bet to me, or you don't and give yourself a black eye with insurance company. Foy. Johnny. Oh, yeah, Barney. That's a good detective. He'd have to be to retire on that nice farm of his over in South Vineland. He even broke a burglary case for me once here in Port Morris a couple of years ago, one I couldn't break myself. Ah, pastime. But you've got guts. I like you for it. Thanks a lot. And... To me, the Pete Corbin theory looks, well, too easy. Oh, not you, Barney. That's what I've been trying to preach to that stubborn egghead sitting beside you. I'll lend you a suit of clean clothes, and you can chase this thing down the way you want to, without the dubious help of somebody who is just trying to win a bet from you. Traitor. And if I were you, I'd hunt up a few other people who knew Ricky Amerigo besides his press agent, Pete Corbin. You are a mind reader. Gentlemen, I have only one thing to say. And, Johnny, it's addressed to you. When you finally find that Pete Corbin done it, you know where to send the check to me. At Port Morris, we learned that Alf McCracken had lost track of Corbin when the former dropped in at Osborne's Oyster House for a dozen and a half show. Hadn't even seen him take off in his car, much less leave in a hurry after spotting us on the road to Lucky Hole Creek. I took advantage of Barney's offer, borrowed a suit of his clothes, and accepted a ride from him to the crossroads of Woodvine where I could get a bus back to Philadelphia. Sure, half my job was done. I'd recovered the $30,000 Amati violin. But I could still hear the oh-so-pleasant voice of Ad Bowles, ex-investigator, not so retired. You know where to send the check to me, Johnny boy. Expense account item five, $4.95. Bus fare from Woodvine to Philadelphia. And believe me, it's a long bus ride. As soon as I got to my hotel and changed into my own clothes, I called Harry Branson at the insurance company. Mr. Branson here. This is Mr. Dollar, Mr. Branson. Yes, Mr. John. Yeah, I'm back at my hotel, music lover. And I've just won the $30,000 Amati. What? Yeah, I got the fiddle for you. Well, thank heaven you recovered it. What of Ricardo Amerigo? Uh, later. Do you want the Amati? I'll be right over. Where is it, John? Where is it? Right here, Harry. Right here. Case, bow, and all. Oh, thank heaven. And by some miracle, it's dry as a bone and all in one piece. Voila. Oh, thank heaven. John. John? What's the matter? This? An Amati? Oh, no. Oh, no.
Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, the results of a poker game. And believe me, there are times when the cards can be really stacked against you. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Sam Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Yeah, Pete Corbin, Dollar. I found your message when I got in, but I don't know why I'm returning your call after that lacing I took from you. Well, at least you haven't run out on us. Why should I? How would you like to explain what you were doing in Port Morris, New Jersey yesterday afternoon at the scene of the so-called accidental death of your client, Ricardo Amarigo? Oh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought that was you I saw in that car down there. It sure was. Are you in your office? Yeah, that's right. I thought you wanted well, to stay know... there. I do want to know. That and a lot of other things. I'll see you in about an hour after I've made another call. Okay, okay. I'll be here. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. To the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. Following is an accounting of further expenses during my investigation of the Ricardo Amerigo matter. Expense account item six. $33.75. Dry cleaning and new shirts, socks and so on, including one pair of shoes to replace the ones I lost in the South Jersey swamp while rescuing what I thought was a priceless Amati violin in a muddy tidewater inlet called Lucky Hole Creek. But when I showed it to Harry Branson at Philadelphia Mutual, well, at least he promised to have an expert look it over and pass final judgment. That's the reason for item 7, 85 cents, taxi to Harry's office in the Security First building. Oh, come in, John, come in. Hi, Harry. Well, what have you found out? Nothing yet, but I should hear from the violin man any minute. John, I do hope I was wrong. Sit down. Thanks. Harry, 
I could have committed mayhem when you told me that fiddle I picked up in the swamp isn't the Amati. To think you nearly drowned retrieving it. Oh, brother, that's putting it mildly. But I'm sure Foresto will know. Foresto? Foresto Sir Negliario, uh, however he pronounces it, the violin man. He really an expert? Well, he's the one who okayed the $30,000 policy on Amerigo's violin. Uh, Let's just hope this one's it. Did you learn anything in Port Morris? Only confirm what you'd already learned from Sergeant Peters down there. That someone had sawed through some steering connection on Amerigo's car before it crashed through the bridge? Yeah. Still no sign of the body? Nope. Oh, uh, a man named Adam Bowles called. Oh, he's an old friend. Used to be a private detective and just can't get it out of his system. Oh. Well, he called me, you know. I know. And I must confess, John, that I'm inclined to agree with him. That Peter Corbin, Amerigo's agent, did it? Agent and beneficiary, John. And apparently the one person who knew Amerigo well enough... I said it to Ad Bowles until I was blue in the face, Harry, and I say it again. Too easy. But who else? I don't know. That's what I came back here to find out. All the evidence... Circumstantial evidence. The kind of man that'd be a fool to let pile up against him if he really was guilty. Hmm. Even so... Harry, let me do it my own way, huh? What if this Corbin tries to skip out? Then will be the time to... Excuse me. Yes? Uh, Mr. Sherney Arrow to see you, sir. Sherney Arrow. I, I-, I knew that was it. Uh, send him in. Our man is here, John. Foresto? Yes, uh, sure, sure. Oh, well. Uh, come in, uh, <clears throat> Foresto. Meet Mr. Dollar. Yeah, uh, how do you do, Mr. Dollar? You brought the fiddle? Yeah, uh, right here on the desk. Well? Um, thank you. I'll open up the case. Well, is it? Mr. Bronson, Mr. Dollar, I'm sure. Well? Well, Mr. Cherniero? Cherniero. Look, you've only got to look. Now that I've cleaned away some of the mud and the salt from the swamp where it was found, we're lucky it did not do any real damage to change the appearance. But nobody could tell the way you gave it to me. Well, how about now that you've cleaned it up? Yes. Ah, you see here. The shape of the F holes. The curve to the valley. Yeah. The beautiful shape. The signs of age. And above all, here, you see, the label. Label? Through the F hole, you can see it. There. Nicolo Amati. Then it is Amarillo's. See. Si. You're sure, Mr. Chaniero? Hmm. The label says. And Foresto says. Well, look, I talked with a fiddle player in the orchestra at my hotel last night. He told me there are literally thousands of imitations of every important violin ever made. Shape, size, label, and all. Now, listen, Foresto. Yeah. Tell me the truth. Do you really consider yourself an expert? Well, I'm, uh, I'm a seller of violins in my store. Violins, harmonicas, alcorinas, victrolas. How good are the violins you sell? Oh, so good ones. Some as high as $65. Harry, do you mean to tell me... With all due apologies, Foresto, do you mean to tell me he was your authority for a $30,000 policy on Ricky Amarigo's violin? Well, of course, a representative from the Wurlitzer Collection in Chicago verified Foresto's opinion at the time. Gee, your Wurlitzer know every good violin in the world. Yeah, Harry, let me have it. I'll give you a receipt for it. I'll bring it back when I'm through with it. Whatever you say, John. I assume you want to check further on the authenticity. And you are right. John. Yeah. To put it bluntly... You've still not accomplished very much insofar as Amerigo himself is concerned. With this fiddle under my arm, I think maybe I will. See you later. Maybe Harry had been right in the very beginning. Maybe I should have known a little more about music, or more specifically, violins. 
Or maybe I should have left this aspect of the case to someone else and concentrated on the disappearance death of Ricardo Amerigo. Maybe I... Uh, well... Expense account item eight, 80 cents. Taxi to booking agent Peter Corbin's office. All right, Dollar, let's not waste either your time or either mine. You want to know what I was doing... That's right, Corbin. The Amati. I found it right where you planted it. In that swamp near Port Morris. You actually found it. Thank the... What do you mean where I planted it? What else were you doing down there in the South Jersey swamps? Is that where you found it? Well, you ought to know. But frankly, Corbin, I think you overplayed it a bit when you tucked part of one of Amerigo's monogram shirts there with it. I don't know what you're talking about. Actually, I mean it. Then what were you doing down there? And brother, you better make it good. The same thing you were... Trying to find out what happened to Ricky Amerigo. I tell you, Dalla, I was his best friend. It's a true fact. If his fiddle was down there, too, I didn't see it. I wish I could believe you. But the way it looks from here, you were willing to have the Amati violin found lying out there in that salt marsh because you couldn't get rid of it without exposing yourself. It didn't put any money in your pocket the way you figure Amerigo's death will. The way it looks from here, Dalla, that's where you're wrong. Yeah? Yeah, actually wrong. If Amerigo's dead, I collect in his insurance as his beneficiary. That's what the policy says, but believe all me. All right, all right. But you think I wouldn't collect on the Amati fiddle, whether it was found or if it wasn't found. That's where you're wrong. What are you talking about? Because I'm also a beneficiary to his will. How do you know? <laughs> because I'm not only the sole and only heir in his will, I'm also the executive of... Uh, yeah, executive of his estate, too. Oh. So if I was the heavy... What would I take a chance leaving the $30,000 fiddle laying around in some swamp? Hmm? Cover up? $30,000 worth? All right, what did you do with the hacksaw? You mean somebody sawed up the fiddle? Oh, no, let me see. No, 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 easy, will you? Somebody sawed partway through a steering arm on Amerigo's car to make it crash. Murder? Well, that's a pretty fair question. Oh, no, oh, no, darling, no. Oh, no, who would murder a nice, sweet guy like Ricky? Maybe he was a drunk, maybe he hit the skids, but he had no enemies. He couldn't have. Okay, maybe he was just a drunken bum, worthless. He threw away a concert career, but he was still... He was a gentleman, an actual gentleman. And he was a sweet guy. Nobody could have murdered him. Oh, no, no, darling, not Rick. Pete, Pete, would you... Who was it? Tell me, huh? Who was the lousy punk? I'll kill him. Okay, Pete, I believe you. I don't care whether you believe me or not. Will you tell me who done it? Pete. Rick. Pete, will you listen to me? I'm listening. Now, look here. Look here and tell me. Is this Ricky's Amati violin? Yeah, that's... That's it. Ah, oh, poor Ricky. Poor drunk... You're lover. sure? I'm sure. All right, Pete, I'm going to give it to you straight. All I ask is you now tell listen to me, me will you? We don't know who killed Ricky Amerigo. We haven't even found his body. The Port Morris police are still trying, of course, but it... It could have been carried by the tide through that in inlet, the Lucky Hole Creek, right on out to the sea. Or, of course, it may appear somewhere along the creek. It'll take weeks to search that swamp thoroughly. Now, Anyhow... If they do find him, I want to see he gets a decent burial. Will you promise me? Okay, I'll try, but listen, will you? Because of the sawed-through steering arm, his death was made to look accidental. Double indemnity. And you're the beneficiary. He not only wasn't making you any money because his drinking kept him off the concert stage, but he owed you money, plenty. Now, that's a motive... As for opportunity, who else had as much right, as you? Nobody, nobody, nobody. But I love the poor guy. I try to keep him alive you to get him back me, in his own. You told me, you told me, and I believe you. 
But the fact remains that the insurance company, the police, even a pretty smart private detective I know, all figure you for number one suspect. And they hope to accumulate enough evidence to move in on you. And you're with them, huh? No, no. What? Yesterday right here you told me... Sure, I know I did. But I've had time to think it out. Now, pinning it on you is just too easy. Much too easy. I'll say it to your face, Pete. You're no metal giant. But only another fool would let circumstantial evidence like that pile up against him and then commit a murder like that. I may be wrong. Lord help you if I am and find out. But I think you're clean. I swear I am. And I'm going to play it that way unless I find solid reason to change my mind. Because, Pete. Yeah, Johnny? You're the one person who can help me in this case. I'll, I'll do anything. I, actually, anything. Just ask me. All right. Now, first, tell me where you were last Friday evening when Amerigo's car made that dive off that bridge. Alibi? That's right, brother, and you can be sure I'll check it. At Willie's. All right, who's Willie? Willie? Willie Elliott. He's a saxophone player. one of my clients. He was a friend of Ricky's, too. Well, where can I find him? What's his address? Uh, I'll write it down for you. We had a four-handed poker game. Who else in the game? Uh, well, Jerry Goldsmith, one... He know Ricardo, too? Oh, yeah. Composer, conductor, violin player. Fiddle player, huh? Who yeah. was the fourth? Uh, Eric Snowden. Who's he? He's a fiddle maker. He lives at his shop. I'll write that down. Fiddle maker, did you say? Yeah. 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 Yeah, he was the sole and only man Ricky would ever let touch his Amati for repairs and fixing up, you understand? Who else were good friends of Ricardo's? Ah, uh, <laughs> while he was making it, plenty. Lately, nobody. You sure? Oh, nobody. Johnny, I know... Of course, he hung around a lot of bars. He was a regular. Give me a list. Well, let's see. There's a little place over on Pine Street called the Yellow Lamp. Expense account item nine, 370. A quick sandwich for Pete Corbin and myself and a flock of phone calls to Pete's poker pals. Just to make sure they were in and available when I could get around to see them. I had to phony up an excuse for seeing each of them. A friend of Pete's just in from out of town suggested I give you a call, that sort of thing. And apparently it didn't arouse any suspicion. At least it was a start. And for the first time, call it a hunch or whatever you like, I felt I was going to get somewhere in this case. As it turns out, I was. Believe me. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, a trio of musicians. The question, which one's story was playing a little flat? Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Sam Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. You? You are investigate? Hello? What'd you say? Who is this? You are investigate Ricardo Amerigo. Yeah, that's right. I'm investigating the Ricardo Amerigo matter. Who are you? Hello? Hey, listen, do you have some information, a tip on the case? Who are you? Hello? Hello. Hey, what is this, a gag? Yeah. Or is this supposed to be some kind of a cockeyed threat, a warning for me to get off the case? Believe me, this is no gag. Hello? Hello? Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. Following is an accounting of further expenses incurred during my investigation of the Ricardo Amerigo matter. Expense account item 10, $21 even, for drinks, for me alone. And believe it or not, I'm cold sober. But the least I could do was buy one at each of the bars on the list Pete Corbin gave me. A list of all the places Ricardo Amerigo used to hang out before his disappearance in a South Jersey swamp. In spite of all the circumstantial evidence pointing his way, I still wasn't convinced Corbin had engineered an accident to kill Amerigo. Pete had also given me a list of Amerigo's closest personal friends, three of them. I told them I'd see them later. Meanwhile, I hoped to learn something helpful from the places where he apparently spent most of his time during his last few months on this earth. But the result can pretty much be summed up by the last bar on the list, the Hangover Club. There you are. Cost you 80 cents. Here. Keep the change. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's just like I tell you, mister. You come in here, buy a few drinks, sit and drink them, leave. Well, uh, didn't he ever talk to anybody? <laughs> Not even me. Just hit here and get plastered. Told one of his friends to come in and drag him away. Who? Did you know any of them? Oh, sure. Willie Elliott, saxophone player at the Crystal Room. Oh. Who else? Jerry somebody, fiddle player. <sighs> Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, they're on my list. Huh? Anybody else? No. Oh, yeah, away, sure. His agent, Pete Corbin. Yeah, that's... Hey, if you knew that, why'd you ask me? I've heard the same thing exactly 20 times so far today. Yeah, well, I'll say this for him. They must have loved Amerigo. They might have fought and argued with him when they caught him in here, but it was all for one thing, to try and straighten him out. But, mister, he was too far in. Yeah. Yeah, shame for a talent like him, concert violinist, to hit the skids the way he'd done, but nobody couldn't seem to help him. The story had been exactly the same in every bar on the list. Apparently, the only friends, the only associates that Ricardo Amerigo had had were those Pete Corbin had named. Expense account item 11, 110. Cab fare to the apartment of William Elliott over on Callowell Street. Same story. No new names of friends or even acquaintances. He and Corbin and Goldsmith and the old English violin maker, Eric Snowden, had known Amerigo for years, good times and bad. Had all tried to help him, straighten him out, were deeply grieved over his death. Item 12, 570. Cab to a suburb called Lenark to see Jerry Goldsmith, where... I'll admit I expected to get the same story, the same names, no more, no less. This time I took the Amati violin with me.
Hi. Who are you? I'm Johnny Dollar. Oh, yes, you called. Come in. Friend of Pete Corbin's, you said. Uh, sit down. Mr. Goldsmith, I'll get right to the point. I'm an insurance investigator, and I that came in... That violin case. That, that looks like Ricardo's. It is. And, and Viamati? Yes. Oh, thank God. I found it down on the South Jersey swamp where Amerigo's car plunged off the bridge. It had been lying there, hidden by the marche for several days. Is it all right? May I see it? Well, one reason I brought it along was so you could substantiate identification. I make no bones about it, Mr. Dollar. I coveted this violin like nothing else in the world. I've played many fine instruments, strads, guanieri, even this, my stainer. I see. But Ricardo's Amati, it... There was something between that violin and myself that could exist for no one else. Not even Ricardo Amarigo when he was at his greatest. And when he started his, his terrible downfall. You uh, wanted it even more, huh? Yes, more than anything else in the world. Enough to kill for it? <laughs> Mr. Dollar, I should kill you for even thinking such a thing. I love Ricardo. Okay, sorry. The fact remains, somebody sawed through a steering arm on his car. Oh, I still can't believe that. No one could have killed Ricardo, no one. Only three others beside myself even knew Ricardo these past few years. Corbin, Elliot, and Eric Snowden. Pity him, feed him, clothe him, try to fight him away from the liquor that had ruined his brilliant career, yes. Even hate him at times for what he'd done to his life, but murder... I'm sorry. May I? Sure. It, uh, is the Amati. Yes. Yes, I know it as well as I know my own. May I play it? Sure. What's the matter? Uh, I don't know. Mr. Dollar, it, it isn't here. The tone, the brilliance, the response, it isn't here. Something's wrong. You're sure this is the Amati? Oh, of course I'm sure, but something's wrong. Something's happened to it. It, it, it isn't the same. Well, you think the dampness of the swamp might no, have done... No, no, you can see. It's, it's all right, but... But it isn't. Well, I, I don't know anything about violins. There are no cracks, no marks, no damage. Even the sound post. But you're sure it's Ricardo Amerigo Zamati? Yes, yes, I told you so. I couldn't possibly be mistaken. But something is... Mr. Dollar... Well? I, I don't know. You know something? I don't either. I'm afraid I left Jerry Goldsmith rather abruptly and in a rather distressed condition. But I had plans, and the sooner I could carry them out, the better. Item 13 on expense account, 420, taxi fare back into town at the shop of Eric Snowden, violin maker. The only man who'd been allowed to touch Ricardo Amerigo's Amati, except, of course, for the music store owner who'd cleaned it up after I found it in the swamp. Yeah, it was possible he had done something to it that would destroy its tone. But for some reason or other, call it a hunch if you like, I hope not. Snowden's shop was located on a colorful little side street, really not much more than an alley called Eisminger Street. 
right in the middle of one of the busiest sections of the city, surrounded by skyscrapers, office stores, and all the traffic that goes with them. This one little alley. Except for Snowden's place, the tiny buildings packed side by side are all residences, left over from years gone by when this was a residential section, and still unspoiled by the bustling activity around them. Thank you, Mr. Romandy. And I'll be sure to hear you at the Academy of Music Saturday night. Uh, sir, sir. Mr. Snowden? Uh, yes, I'm Eric Snowden, but that, that violin case... I'm Johnny Dollar, I fought you. Oh, please come in. Uh, Mr. Dollar. That's right. It's Ricardo Amerigo's. It's been found. Uh, please let me... Mr. Snowden, I'm an insurance investigator. Part of my job has been recovery of this violin. It's possible loss was the most heartbreaking thing I ever contemplated, but you found it. I uh, think so. You think? I don't understand. Well, here, take it. Examine it. Yes, but uh, not here. Come, we'll go up to my workroom on the second floor, where I can check it thoroughly. I'll lock this front door so we won't be disturbed. Now, come with me, please. I can't believe it. It's so wonderful you found it. It would have been a terrible loss to the world. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, you're not a violinist yourself? No. I'm afraid the only violin music I know is what I hear in... Quite a shop. Most of the finest violins in the world have been here, one time or another. The Stradivarius of Yasha. It was quite a shop. The violins. The walls of were Elf, lined with fiddles Fritz in the making Christ, and with tools. Some familiar and I some that were. Wait a minute. Hacksaws. A couple of them small and delicate, Boy, but one a big one and dirty. As Eric Snowden turned away to open the violin case, I ran my fingers over the blades. Yeah, there was grease on one. Uh, now here. Oh. Oh. Well, Mr. Snowden? Yes, Mr. Dollar. This is Ricardo Emerigo's violin. You're certain of that? Eh? Do you think that I, of all people, wouldn't know? Mr. Dollar, aside from Ricardo himself, I am the only person who has touched this magnificent instrument for years now. I must confess, I resent your least question of my judgment. All right, I'll be honest with you. I don't pretend to know much about violin, so I had somebody play it a while ago. Sacrilege. All right, be that as it may. It didn't sound to him or even to me like a $30,000 violin. And whom did you permit to lay hands on this priceless instrument? A friend. Should be horsewhipped. Only an artist. A great artist should be permitted to handle a thing like this. But I suppose you uh, understand that, Mr. Dollar. I don't suppose you... Well, go on. Mr. Dollar, someone has tampered with this. Oh? Of course it doesn't sound right. Did this friend of yours presume to be a violin maker too? What do you mean? The sound post, the placement of the bridge. Of course it doesn't sound right. Now, now why does somebody have to... Do you want to answer that? Uh, no, let them wait. This is more important. No wonder you or your friend or anyone else question the validity of this instrument. Hey, whoever that is down there, he really wants you. Look here, a simple adjustment here and here. Oh, bother. Go ahead, I'll wait. All right, I shall be right back. It was a quick suspicion when I spotted the hacksaw on the wall, and I couldn't forget the warning over the phone. While Snowden waited on his customer, I poked around the shop some more, looking for goodness knows what, and I found exactly nothing. No doubt Snowden was telling the truth. 
Until I started to sit down to wait for him, and as I pulled over a stool, I knocked open the door of a cabin next to his workbench. I started to close it again, and then I saw it. Hanging there on a hook was a violin. I grabbed it out of the cabinet and held it under the light beside the one in Amerigo's case. I held them up together. It was unbelievable. The shape, the color, the markings, nicks on the little pegs you tune them up with, a spot of stain on the scroll, even a tiny, almost indiscernible scratch on the back, an old pencil mark on the inside near the label. It was impossible, but it was true. These two violins were absolutely identical. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's final intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, well, it's a wind-up. But believe me, a wind-up with a real twist. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Sam Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Deller. John? John, this is... Don't tell me. Harry Branson at Philadelphia Mutual. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, Listen, John, I know you found his Amati violin. Are you sure? But Ricardo Amerigo himself, nothing. And after all, there's not only the $20,000 policy on him, but... What do you mean, am I sure? Are you sure it was Amerigo's Amati violin I found? Why, of course... What do you mean? What if it wasn't? What if it was just an imitation? John, stop it. That's impossible. What do you mean? That $30,000 well-insured fiddle I picked up in the South Jersey swamps may be a phony. Oh, no. For heaven's sakes, come over here to the office and tell me... Oh, take it easy, Harold boy, until I've had time to find out a few things. John? See ya. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. To the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. 
Following is a final accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the Ricardo Amerigo matter. When Ricardo Amerigo's car was hauled out of a swamp somewhere near Port Morris, New Jersey, there was no sign of his body. Only a sawed-through steering arm on the car that indicated somebody had done him dirt. However, I did find the fiddle, the $30,000 Amati that had helped him become one of the world's top concert violinists. Anyhow, with a fiddle under my arm, I ended up at the shop of violin maker Eric Snowden for final confirmation that it was the genuine Amati that I'd found. This Eric confirmed. However, while we were in the second-floor workroom of his shop on Eisminger Street talking about the fiddle, somebody pounded on the street door downstairs. Oh, bother. I'll be back in a moment, Mr. Dollar. And that's when I accidentally, and so help me it was accidental, I knocked open the door of a cabinet and discovered another violin, identical in every respect with the one I'd found in the swamp at the scene of Amerigo's accidental death. Okay, so I did exactly what you would have done. I put the one in the cabinet into Amerigo's case and the one from the case into the cabinet. One of them was the genuine Amati. But which one? I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar, but he was so insistent, I thought he was one of my, uh, shall we say, better clients. As it turned out, it was just a youngster who wanted to see one of the new G-strings. A youngster? <laughs> oh, I see you're joking. But now, let me take this magnificent instrument, readjust the sound post and bridge so that it... No, no, wait, Mr. Snowden. Eh? Uh, it's later than I thought. There are some things I must do immediately. Suppose I come back here later. Very well. Meantime, I shall make the adjustments on the Amati to restore its No, tone. no, I've got to take it with me. But I don't understand... There are a few things in this case I don't understand right this minute, but uh, I hope to before very long. Uh, Mr. Dolly, you talk in riddles. Why don't you leave the violin? No, thanks. I'll see you later. Uh, But but please be careful with it. If anything should happen to that priceless... Don't worry. Nothing will happen to it. I found that I'd almost spoken too soon, for I pounded down the stairs across the floor of the store and out of the door without the caution the book says one should exercise when leaving a suspect in a case. I'd no sooner got out on the street... It was a flower pot big enough to have killed a horse in its fall from the upper story window ledge. Oh, no. Good heavens, wait, Mr. Dollar. That was an accident. But I I didn't wait. Expense account item 14, 10 cents. Phone call to Harry Branson at the insurance company to have the police put a man on Eric Snowden's shop immediately to make sure he wouldn't try to skip. Item 15, 750 for a cab to the house of fiddle-playing Jerry Goldsmith out in Lanark. Dollar. Hello, Goldsmith. I didn't expect it. You left in rather a hurry earlier. Sorry, I had to keep a date. Hey, look, Jerry. When I was here before... You still have the violin? Yes. Yes, when I was here earlier and you played it, you didn't seem to think it was really Ricardo Amerigo's Amati. No, no, I, I didn't say that. At least Well, I... at least it didn't sound like it when you played it. Yes, Mr. Dollar, that's right. Oh, now, think a minute. You were a bit upset, excited, uh, whatever you want to call it, when I brought it to you. Yes, that's true. Nevertheless, And I, I think do... you were also afraid I might have suspected you of Amerigo's murder when you admitted his violin was the one thing you wanted more than anything else in life. Except, of course, to have Ricardo straighten out. Become himself again. Become the artist again. Deserve to have this... Oh, I don't know. Whatever I say seems to make it sound like a... I don't know. I know, look, Jerry, calm down, will you? I'm not trying to pin a murder rap on you. Calm down and do something for me, will you? Why, yes, of course. What? Here. Have you had something done to it to restore the tone it used to it have? It hasn't been touched by anyone else since I laid my hands on it. But I want you to play it again. Yes, of course I will. But didn't you say that some old fool with a music store cleaned it up? Jerry, it hasn't been touched by anyone else since I laid my hands on it. Now play it. All right. All right. 
Go ahead, Jerry. isn't it? Yes. Yes, it's it's the Amati. A beautiful, wonderful... Funny. I never realized what a violin could. Can you hear me, Jerry? Yes. Yes. And to think it's taken something like this to lead me to a killer. Expense account item 16, 420. Cab to Philadelphia Mutual, the office of Harry Branson. But if you're right, John, you mustn't go out there alone. Don't you understand if he's the man who planned the murder of Ricardo Amerigo? He wouldn't stop... Yes, yes, I had the police put a man out there to cover his shop. But, John, I still think... It's Expense right. account item 17, $1.60. The buck was a tip for going through a couple of red lights. Back to the shop of the violin maker, Eric Snowden. Mr. Dollar. Hi, Mr. Snowden. I'm afraid I left you rather abruptly a while ago. Mention it, Mr. Dollar, it's you. I, that, that, that near accident when you left that flower pot, I, I don't know how it possibly could have shifted on the window ledge up there. On the third floor window ledge of this little combination store, workshop, and home of yours. That much I did notice while I was ducking it. If it had come off a second-floor window, you know I might have suspected you of giving it a helpful shove. Oh, good heavens, Mr. Dollar, you can't possibly mean that. All right, forget it for the moment. Uh, but how can Let's you... go up to your workshop on the second floor. Come on. Well, well yes, of course. Uh, but uh, may I ask why? I want to show you something, and I think you know what. No, I certainly don't. Unless something has happened to the Amati. Oh, something certainly has. You damaged it since you were here. No such luck. Uh, Mr. Dollar, please, what are you talking about? Okay, here. Now, tell me the truth. Is this Ricardo Amerigo's Amati violin? Yes, yes, I've told you so. You're sure? Of, of course I'm sure. You know something? You aren't, but I am. What? Now, open that cabinet there beside your work table. What for? Because I tell you to. But, but I... Just what are you getting at, Dollar? Are you going to open it or shall I? No. Get out of here. This is my shop, my place. You you can't do this sort of thing to me. Would you rather the police did? They're on their way. Please. But I... Well? There's no need to open it. Ricardo Amerigo Zamati is in it. Well, that's where you're wrong. This is the Amati. In this case, the one in the cabinet is the identical copy of the Amati that you made. Yes, Mr. Dollar. Why, Snowden? Because the loss of this priceless instrument would have been unthinkable. $30,000 insurance on it. Oh, money doesn't buy a violin like this. It must be played by an artist, by many artists, like the artist Ricardo was. So, so when Ricardo disappeared... Or was murdered? When Ricardo disappeared, I had to make sure that the Amati would, would still... 
I didn't murder him. Isn't this the hacksaw that cut the steering rod on his car? Well, Snowden, isn't it? Yes. Uh, no, I and mean... And because of it and your crazy plan to keep the real Amati, you and you alone are going to take the rap for Amerigo's murder. No, no, please. Ricky. Ricky. So you, sir. That's right, Mr. Dollar. I'm Ricardo Amerigo. Your what? The dirty, drunken has-been that started all this. Sawed through the steering rod on my car, wrecked it in the swamp, left some of my clothing there. That phony fiddle was my idea. Not to collect the insurance on it, not that alone. But to make sure it could come back again. Be played again by somebody that deserved to play it. The way I... The way perhaps one time I deserved to play it. But, Ricardo... A man disappears, murder, whatever. There's a fuss about it for a while and it's over. But this, no. No, this must live. This violin. You will now. And the world will be the better for it. But you... And this apparent murder... The insurance was my last hope of paying back Pete Corbin, my agent, and the others who tried so hard to straighten me out. Pay back some of the money and the heartbreak they spent on me. Or... Let your insurance company pay him back. Because I never could. I couldn't even leave my hiding place here in Eric's house. Because I knew that sooner or later he'd pity me enough to give me more of the drink that's been all I've been living for. Eric, God bless him. Eric knew, of course. But only he. Be kind to him, if you can. Ricky. That's all, Mr. Dollar. Oh, Unless, will you buy me a drink before you call in the police? Expense account item 17, 850. One bottle of the best I could buy before I called in the police. Item 18, hotel in Philadelphia, miscellaneous fare, back to Hartford. Total expense account 182.65. Remarks? No insurance payment necessary on either the Amati or the man. And I guess he really was a man. More than he knew. What the courts will do about him and about Eric Snowden... Well, the courts will do. And I'm glad I have to have no part in it. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Somehow I think I have a little better appreciation for music now than... Oh, well. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, there'll be another intriguing story for you beginning next Monday night. Next week, the Duke Red Matter. A racehorse that could only be stopped by a killer. And the killer didn't stop with horses. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote this week's story. Heard in the cast were Harry Bartell, Lawrence Dobkin, Victor Perrin, Barney Phillips, Forrest Lewis, Eric Snowden, Herb Vigran, and James McCallion. Musical supervisor and violinist, Amerigo Marino. 
Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking.